Um, Bishop says this phrase, he says, are you being buried or are you being planted? And from the outside, it looks the same, but from the inside, God actually planted me in a place where um, I may have felt overlooked. I may have felt like I was dying. And now I'm seeing the the fruit of that death, that part of me that had to die in order for the good things to come out. Hey guys, welcome to the Braveheart Podcast. This is Wesley. And if you don't already know, we are in a series that we're calling the Braveheart Vault, which is where we're bringing back some of our favorite episodes from the last couple of years. And we are having people share testimonies about how these episodes have impacted them. And this episode is an amazing episode. It's actually part one of a three-part series that we posted back in 2019 of interviews with T.D. Jakes. And we're not, re, we're not bringing back into the vault all three episodes, but you can go back and listen to all three of them because they're all packed with unbelievable wisdom. I've listened to them a couple times and um, Josh is about to share a testimony about how this specific one has impacted him. So hope you enjoy this episode and hope you enjoy this testimony from Josh. Hey everyone, welcome to the Braveheart Podcast. My name is Joshua Lopez and I've been running with Braveheart for a little while now. Um, I actually listened to this podcast back in 2019 when it had first come out and I didn't realize until just now when I'm listening back as a refresher how much um, repercussions it has had on my life. And I'm going to say this straight up to you that if you allow it, if you allow God to minister to your heart and truly open up to the wisdom and the words and um, the experience that Bishop and Peter have through this podcast, it will truly change your life and your walk with God. And what it did for me, um, it allowed me to welcome the discipline of the Father and allow me to see the greater reality of what is happening in trials in my life. And for the longest time, I felt like I was being overlooked. I felt like I was out in the field just slaving away and with the sheep. But in actuality, um, Bishop says this phrase, he says, are you being buried or are you being planted? And from the outside, it looks the same. But from the inside, God actually planted me in a place where um, I may have felt overlooked. I may have felt like I was dying. But in the dying, as seeds have to die in order to grow, I died. And now I'm seeing the the fruit of that death, that part of me that had to die in order for the good things to come out. And it's only through the crushing that those good things come out. And also the wisdom and the words, the, the experience that Bishop and Peter have, um, it will allow you to dive deeper into the word, to see Jesus um, in the old covenant. And it is just amazing. So I bless you and I allow you to um, to have permission to welcome the discipline of the Father, to um, welcome the comfort of God in the crushing in order for Christ to be formed in you. Um, so I bless you and I love you. And I hope, I pray, and I know that through these podcasts, through these three-part series, your life will truly be changed. Um, so, yeah, enjoy. 
daughter's house, uh, amazing father, man of God. It's such an honor to be here. Uh, we're going to be discussing his latest book coming out in April uh, called Crushing, God Turns Pressure into Power. And I had the privilege of getting this book a little bit ahead of time. And uh, I was struck by how personal this book is. Tell, yes. tell me about why you chose to be so vulnerable. Because uh, I know a lot of people may feel like uh, it's as a, as a pastor, as a leader, someone who people look up to, they can be afraid to expose some of those dark places in their life. But, but from the get-go, you just uncover it. You know, uh, I come from a generation that doesn't do that. Mm. Uh, being a baby boomer, we were taught what goes on in your house stays in your house. Mm. But I'm talking to a generation, a Facebook generation. And over a period of time, you begin to learn what the Bible teaches us about uh, doubting Thomas when he came to see Jesus. It was not Jesus' message that made him believe that he was risen from the dead. It was his wounds. Mm. So when, when Thomas felt Jesus' wounds, he knew he was authentic. And I think that we're living in an age today that being authentic is necessary to bring legitimacy to your ministry. Uh, to see the word made flesh in human people who are flawed and struggle and flop and flip through life trying to find their way is a part of God getting the glory that he could take so little and do so much with it. Wow, that's beautiful. So for, for my generation, many of whom are here from Christ for the Nations yes, all over the world, <laughs> students who will grow up and, and be in ministry, be in business, when you're talking about being vulnerable, be vulnerable and being authentic, how do you handle the fears that when you expose yourself or you're authentic that you open yourself up to critics? Well, the, you, you have to use wisdom. I mean, I'm not saying that you, your life should be completely an open book, not only for the sake of the... I think that privacy is important to the species and mm -hmm. some level of privacy is, is critical to, have, to give you a sense of self um, one of the ways that they humiliate prisoners is to strip them mm. and uh, to, to put them in isolation. So I'm not suggesting that your life should be so transparent that you lose privacy. But I am saying that your life lessons and your test become your testimony. Mm. And, and not being afraid to share that testimony with people is a very important part of authenticating your, your ministry. And yes, there will be critics. And yes, there will be people who judge you. But I think the people who are drawn to you, at least in my experience, because I was horrified mm -hmm. the first time I climbed up on a stage and actually started doing uh, a class I did called Woman That Are Loose, uh, my vulnerability made me nauseous. Mm. <laughs> I, walked, I walked off the stage and I thought, oh my God, what have you done? Are you retarded? They're going to kill you. And, and, and instead of killing me, they started following me. Wow. And the crowds kept getting bigger and bigger. And I began to realize that people are tired of superheroes. Yes. They, they, they want uh, believable heroes. Yes. Uh, they, they want what Thomas needed to thrust their hand into my side mm. and feel the nail prints in my hand. And, and therefore they believe because they relate to the injuries and the adversities of life. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, I can relate a little bit to that in that, you know, part of my testimony was when I was young, 
I got exposed to pornography and that kind of thing. And, and we know about that sin, that it's, it's private, mm-hmm. it's secret. Mm-hmm. But I found that when I received the Lord's deliverance, his freedom, his acceptance, I, I found a freedom to discuss it publicly, mm-hmm. and it gave people courage. Right. And, and that was something I feel like I noticed in this. As you begin to expose some of these dark areas in your life, you wouldn't have been able to, to reveal them immediately. Right. And you talk about that. Right. But it, it speaks to, to the healing process in that you've now seen a, a perspective <laughs> on the other side that allows you to bring people in and help them. Can you talk about that process of how you get to that place? Because well, you can't do it right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm laughing because I, I have a philosophy, don't tell it till it's over. <laughs> While you're yet in the throes of it, it's, it's, it's not ready yet. Mm. Uh, you don't have the lesson yet. Uh, it's when it's over and it's under your feet that it becomes usable information. Uh, until then, it's, it's better to not to put it out there into the light because then you expose your weakness to somebody who will exploit your weakness. Wow. And so you have to use wisdom about that. And that's why I laughed when you said that. And the older you get, you move from stage to stage in life. Some things die because, because of the effect of the Word of God in your life. And some things die because it was just a stage of life. Mm. And you don't know until in retrospect that there are certain things that happen to you that are based on the age and the stage you're in. And uh, it's part of your growth. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have not. We, we were laughing backstage about him having five children. I said, he has so many children. And then I thought, oh, I have five too. <laughs> 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 you, you know, but, but, but you wouldn't have a child that walks if you didn't have a child that tripped. Mm. It is the tripping that teaches the child to walk. Yeah. And that's why the gospel is so amazing in, in, in giving grace uh, in the book, I talk about the how you juxtapose uh, Christ, God choosing Aaron to be a high priest, and at, at the moment of total failure, mm. I mean, while Moses is up on the mountain uh, getting a word from God, Aaron is down there leading the people into God knows what. When Moses comes back, they're naked and dancing around the calf, mm. and yet uh, God made him the high priest. Mm. While Aaron is leading them into idolatry, God is stitching a garment for him to be the only man out of all of Israel that can go in and out of the holies of holies. Wow. Now, we know that God is omniscient, so God was not surprised. And Moses didn't know what Aaron was doing, but God did. But God's strategy, I believe, in using Aaron in that way is that God needed somebody who could hear the sins of the people and not judge them. Mm because they had fallen to a point that judgment is, is not a part of your nature after you've experienced mercy yourself. Hmm. And so Aaron, who probably was the worst guy in the camp, ends up being the premier person who is able to go into the holies of holies. It is a picture of Christ who did not commit sin, but became sin for us, wow. that we might be the righteousness of God mm. so that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and discuss whatever we need to discuss because one, he was tempted in all points like as we are. And secondly, though he didn't commit murder, he became murder. Mm. He didn't commit adultery, he became adultery. And when God the Father looked at all of that sin on the cross, he was smitten of God mm. so that we could be liberated by God. Wow. You know, as you're talking, to be honest, when I when I first saw the title as 
title of this book. You know, it's like someone who writes a book on fasting. You know what's good for you, <laughs> but you don't want to read it because you're going to be convicted to fast. And when I read this, you know, and, and maybe some people feel this with the title, no one wants to be crushed. You're right. No one in their right mind mm-hmm. would say, yeah, God crushed me. Yeah. But as you read it, what I found is that you, you offer a perspective that helps people identify uh, why it's happening mm-hmm. and the redemptive quality, the transformation that's happening mm-hmm. to the individual and God's higher purpose in it. And as you're talking about Jesus being crushed, that's the question I have is, how do we identify with his crushing? Uh, and, and, and do we all have to go through crushing, mm-hmm. right? Some of us, maybe we haven't had a tragedy. You've, you've mentioned and you mentioned in the book some of the painful things you went through, mm-hmm. tragedies. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have to go through it? I think everybody goes through it, but it doesn't, there are different degrees of crushing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's the crushing of a, a girl who turns you down and breaks your heart. And there, there's the crushing of losing a loved one. There's the crushing of uh, having to take a course over or uh, struggling to get the money to stay in school. And then there's the crushing of being evicted and being homeless. There are degrees to it. Hmm. But in every person's life, if you are truly a disciple, you must have a cross. And the thing that I've tried to bring out in the book is that crosses are not always made of wood. The crosses are made of situations that you are stuck to and can't get loose from. Hmm. And you have to trust God in the midst of it, though it is the place where your flesh dies and sometimes what you had in mind dies Hmm. and what you expected your life to be dies and that transformative power of Christ to get a hold of your life and turn it into what he wanted and what he had in mind rather than what you had in mind, that is a crushing place. It doesn't have to be trauma. Right. Uh, it doesn't have to be drama, but it does have to be effective at killing your will hmm. and transforming you into higher, to the highest, best version of yourself. I want to unpack that thought. Okay. Because you, you juxtapose two things in, in moments. And I think all of us can identify with some form of crushing. It's mm-hmm. that dark season. But, but you ask the question, am I being buried right. or am I being planted? Yes, yes. And, and I want you to unpack that thought because, because the crushing of our will mm-hmm. uh, in seeing if we're being buried mm-hmm. or planted, I think is really critical. As I read this, uh, for me, it was just an incredible handle uh, mm-hmm. in moments of, of extreme pain to see, wait, God may be planting me. One of the things that's interesting about the book Crushing is if, if there are people who have been following my literary career, I am not always a stereotypical preacher who writes about theological things all the time. My last book was about entrepreneurship. Right. I did a book before that about the instincts and, and the human instincts and, and what God wired in our DNA instinctively that informs us, not necessarily just the Holy Spirit informing us, but our instinctive natures and how important that is. This is taking me back to my roots. This is much more theological. It focuses on the difference between the particular point you're talking about between being planted and being buried, and they both look the same. The difference in being planted and being buried is not the circumstance. It is, in, it is first the fact that the person who plants, plants with the expectation of seeing you again. 
Mm. Okay, the person who buries buries you to get away from seeing you because they figure that you are your life is over and you are buried. To the onlooker, the action looks the same, mm. but to the one who planted them, there's a different expectation. Mm. Sometimes when God is planting you, you feel like you've been buried. Mm -hmm. You feel like you're forgotten. And you feel like you promised me that I would be fruitful. And now you buried me. And now everybody's walking past me. And I'm not the one. And I'm being ignored. And I'm being overlooked. And you're buried uh, in some circumstance, some situation, some school, some university, some a mundane job, some something that's totally against what you had hoped to be. Mm. But that's how God plants you. He, 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 he planted me in the hills of West Virginia. And, and I, was, I felt buried back in a little town called Montgomery. I had about 10 members. And uh, I taught Bible class to three or four people for years. Now, did you dream about having, obviously, a bigger church and a bigger influence, I'm sure? Oh, yeah, but bigger to me was 80. Mm. <laughs> you know, that was, that was a great success. Right. If I, I, could, I couldn't fathom having 80 members. Oh, my God. This, this one person came and prophesied and said that God was going to give us 500 uh, souls. And I had this member named uh, Brother Morris. His name was Mike Morris. And at that time, I was having to drive the members home. Okay, but my, I was the bus ministry too, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's where I started. And uh, so we're driving. I remember this like it was yesterday. We were driving down the road. I had Brother Morris and a couple of other people in the back of the car, and my wife. And I, at that time, I had two kids, and they were little and practically with feet hanging out the window. The car was so loaded down with people, it looked like a scene from the Flintstones. I don't know anything about like that. that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you understand. And, uh, and he said, we were driving down the road, kind of quiet, it had been a great service, and this prophetic word had come through, and he says, Pastor, if the Lord give us 500 souls, where are we going to put them? <laughs> because my building would only hold 80 people, and, and I only saw it full on Easter. Mm. And I said, I don't know, Brother Morris, I don't know, but the Lord will provide. I, I couldn't imagine that happening. I was 25. Mm. Uh, I had only been married a year. And uh, my life had, was economically in shambles mm. because I had a great job, uh, a good car and everything, and then uh, got laid off. The plant closed down. Mm. The job went away. I had very few members. Uh, I couldn't fathom my life now because I was buried mm. economically, emotionally, spiritually. But the person who is buried doesn't move in the ground. But the seed who is planted is going through transformation in the dark. And you have to understand that if you're seed and not dead, even in the dark, you're going through transformation. Wow. You see, and so even though nobody, everybody's walking over top of you and stepping on you and, and they're not expecting you, they underestimated what was inside of you. Mm. And, and crushing is really all about what's inside of you. Yes. It is about 
moving what's outside of you so that I can get to the life that lies within you. And so yes. the reason I use that in the book was to say to people, I know the devil is telling you that you've been buried. Mm -hmm. But God whispered in my ear and said, you've been planted. Yes. Bishop, I want to keep zooming in on this because we live in the Instagram, Facebook world, yes. right? And, and something you talk about, good wine takes time. Mm -hmm. My generation doesn't like to take time. No. <laughs> we, we think we go deep on something if we like, comment, and share. Yeah. We think that's deep. Yeah. Right? Well, we, we took a minute and we liked, commented, and shared. And so what do you tell my generation or, or people who may be stuck in comparison where they're seeing everyone bear fruit, but they're being transformed in the dark? No one sees them. How do we... How do we abide in that place and not try to hurry up and bear fruit so we can take a picture of something, show people how good we are? Because you talk about that. How do we have that patience? Is it just perspective? You know something? Uh, the, I, I, lo I love working with millennials, mm -hmm. okay? And uh, I get a great deal of fulfillment out of it because I started preaching when I was 19. So even though my outward man is older, my inward man relates to young people because I know what it's like to be young and have dreams and 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 have hormones and <laughs> and have faith and mm -hmm. have fear and 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 all of that in in one package and and to have the nagging, gnawing feeling, am I enough? Mm. So the difference is we didn't have technology. You have technology, and in your haste to get there, when I work with young preachers they'll grab a slogan, for instance, off of Instagram and go preach it without researching it, mm. without studying it. So once they've said the thing that the wise man said, they can't explain it. They can only repeat it. Mm. If you take the slower route and dig it out for yourself, if, you're, if someone challenges that statement, you can authenticate it because you verified it for yourself. Wow. Great preaching is not grabbing a quick slogan and running to the stage to share it. It's grabbing a slogan that makes you dig to understand what the person saw mm -hmm. when they said it. Mm -hmm. And then when you dig it out yourself, it's yours. Right. You own it. And your conviction about it is much stronger and your ability to articulate it is much broader That's because it. you took the time to go through it for yourself. Yes. So the quick road might look quicker and easier, mm -hmm. but in the long run, taking the slow road to pay back way more dividends wow. than anything that's quick. Yeah, I can really relate to that. When I was first started preaching, I was always podcasting these other guys that I like listening to, and mm -hmm. I could parrot what they said, and it's mm -hmm. almost a, a sign of immaturity, right? Mm -hmm. It's what little kids do. They parrot their parents. Right. Uh, but I remember about a few years in, the Lord said, son, I want to make you a voice, not an echo. <laughs> and, wow. and he said, I want you to go into the word for yourself and mind these sounds. That same encouragement. Absolutely. Um, I think that's so powerful. Um, Bishop, as you, as you think about um, the landscape of, of the church today, as you think about our generation, you know, I've had the privilege of getting to know you the past couple years. You're right. Uh, right before Megafest. And one thing I've been amazed at uh, with you when I first heard you speak for the very first time was you have the heart of a father. Right. And, and more than, you know, I saw you in a, in, a, in a context, you weren't on the stage. That was really my first primary exposure, which is maybe unique for some people. They maybe used to see you on the pulpit. Uh, but for me, 
when I, when I heard you speak, I heard a father. Mm-hmm. And my heart was turned to you as a father. And I think something you carry that's so profound is the ability to have compassion and to care for people in their suffering. And for me, it's what's drawn me to you. When my spiritual father passed away last fall, you made a point to, to bring me and just embrace me and tell me that you were sorry. Mm-hmm. And that meant so much to me because you didn't, I couldn't add anything to you. Mm-hmm. I couldn't bring anything to you. You didn't do that for any purpose other than you cared and you've been through the pain. Can you, can you tell us your heart for writing this book? Because as I read it, I feel the, the voice of a father mm-hmm. wanting to father a generation so that they don't get hung up, become bitter, become angry, right. become disenfranchised with God, which is everywhere right now. Right. And I feel like one of the gifts of this book, one of the gifts that you are to me and I know to my generation, is that you have this heart of a father that says, it's going to be okay. And you offer that perspective where many of us didn't have that, that spiritual wisdom and insight being offered to us growing up in the faith. Right. We were just taught, man, grip it and hold on. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. can you speak to that, your heart as a father? Because I feel that coming through this book so strong. First thing that comes to mind when you were talking is that over and over in the Gospels before Jesus performed miracles, it says, and he was moved with compassion mm. and healed the multitudes. And we leap to heal the multitudes and bypass move with compassion. Mm. It is the moving with compassion that gives you the power to heal the multitude. And, and, and we, we're so busy trying to get head knowledge yep. that we don't get heart connection. But, but head knowledge without heart connection makes you a dictionary. You know, and you can spout out facts and you know information and you know definitions and you know stats and you know this and you know that and you know the other. But facts don't move people. Truth does. Mm. Okay. Truth has to come from a deeper place. Jesus didn't say, I am the facts. He said, I am the truth. You see, Mm. and there's a great deal of difference between the facts and the truth. It comes from a deeper place in your heart. He said, I will give you pastors after my, after my own heart, okay? He, he chose pastors because of their ability to have compassion. I believe he chose Joseph because of his heart. He knew that Joseph could be mistreated, abused by his brethren, thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, worked for a man in his house, lied on, put in prison, and that he still come out with that heart. Mm. So that when he blessed him, he blesses us according to our heart. So God will invest more in a big heart because then you won't be bitter and withhold from your brothers because you have a need for revenge. Mm. God blesses people he can trust and he trusts you according to your heart. So developing your heart is important. And often what develops your heart is being broken. Mm. When, when your heart has been broken by situations in life, you're, you're not so worried about your image. You're not so worried about being macho. You're not so worried about t- tears welling up in your eyes. You're not so worried about yourself. And when you see somebody else who is hurt, you rush to them. Because the real elixir of ministry that makes ministry powerful, that gives you the thrust to do it. It's not fame. It's not notoriety. It's not just the fact that you're called. 
it's not just because you're just this good person, but the real secret of ministry is that every time you see that person standing at that altar, you see you. Mm. And your need to get them is because you identify them. We have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Why? Tempted in all points like as we. Mm. He connects with us. He becomes kin to us. And because he is kin to us in our affliction, he is able to redeem us. You cannot redeem what you don't care about. Mm. You, 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 you have to care about it. And what gives us the care, because we are by nature selfish, what gives us the care is that you see yourself in that person mm. who's on drugs, or you see yourself in that person who has started cutting themselves, or you see yourself in that person who is lonely and distant and, and out of touch with their life and their family. And you've rushed to them because in rushing to you, what you see as a father's heart, I'm rushing to me in you. Wow. I'm thinking how I would feel if I lost my spiritual father, which, I, which would be just, <laughs> I can't even comprehend that. Uh, and, and I wanted to rush to you because when I rushed to you, I was talking to me. Mm. You see, mm. I was telling you what I would want to hear if I, if I were where you were. Here, here's, here's a good one. So Ezekiel says, uh, he says, I went in the heat of my spirit. Okay. And he said, and I came to the rivers of cherubim. And when I sat where they sat, I was astonished. That I sat where they sat is why God came through Jesus to sit where we sit. And what really gives a father a father's heart is because he's been a son. And every time you're talking to your son, you're talking to yourself. Wow. That's the truth. Bishop. <laughs> do, you, do you get it? Yeah. yeah you're, you're talking to yourself. So when a mother talks to a daughter, she's talking to herself. So, so as a rule, uh, mothers train their daughters and spoil their sons. Fathers train their sons and spoil their daughters. And the reason the mother is hard on the girl is because she's trying to get her ready to be her. So she trains her, okay? And the father, because he cannot relate to her, he spoils her. But he trains the boy, sit up, boy, straighten up. He, he's talking to himself. He's trying to get his son tough enough to be him. Wow. <laughs> That's, a, that's how we love you. Let me say this, because this is important. Because I sense the Holy Spirit talking yes. to you in a very personal way. A father's love toward his son is exemplified in his toughness, not his tenderness. And the reason he's tough on you is because he loves you. And the boy who doesn't have that struggles to have discipline. You have to recognize that all love is not tender. Some, some love is, is tough, but the toughness is tenderness. 
because I don't want you to get up to my age and hurt like I hurt and go through what I went through. And so I push you to prepare you so that you'll be protected against the assaults that life will bring to you. Mm. But my daughters, oh, look at you, you're so cute. You, 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 know, you know what I'm saying? But on, on the other hand, my mother's saying, get up. My wife is saying, get up. You got things to do. You, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And when you are blessed enough to have both, uh, you, you get everything. Now, sometimes the roles are different. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, the father is tougher on the daughter and the mother. But, but you need that balance of, mm -hmm. of two different types of love. Right. And if you don't have that, it is crippling because you only recognize one side of love's face. And you've never seen the other profile. Mm. So when somebody loves you differently, you reject it and say it's not love when it really is love. Mm. Yeah. Wow. How do we... I, it's so deep, Bishop. <laughs> I'm, 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 it's overwhelming to think about uh, just the, the beauty of God in hemming us in before and behind with with all kinds of love, right? Because his intent, his purpose, and you bring that out in this book, is not for this life only. Mm -hmm. He's got an eternal perspective um, that tough love, tender love, it all plays a role in us having Christ formed in us. Absolutely. Because that's what brings him glory, Absolutely. is seeing his son formed in us. That's right. Um, how, let, let me say something yeah, right please. quick. My son, my youngest son is studying Job. And so he's, we had this big discussion about Job. He comes in the other day, you know, me and my girlfriend are studying the book of Job. I said, yeah. I said, uh, do you know that Job was the first book of the Bible, that the Bible is not listed in chronological order? He said, yes, Daddy, I, I found that out. I researched it, I found that out. And, and he said he was fascinated with Job's friends. And so we started talking about them, what, what Job calls worthless physicians. And we were talking about how they falsely accused him. And he's fascinated with the conversation that went on in heaven about Job's, Job's life. And then finally I said to him, do you recognize that Job's tragedies was only a short phase out of his whole life? That the whole book is written around a brief moment in his life that the substratum of Job's life was continued blessings leading up to it and a double portion after it. And this book is written about the slice in between. That slice in between is the crushing. And it, it really brings both the blessing before and after together. It mm. is the hinge mm. that, that holds Job's life together. If I had not suffered then when people criticized me when I became successful and said, you know, you're doing it for the big crowds and you got the big lights and you're on big TV and you, you've got all this success and you're selling all these books, you make all this money, I would have believed them. Mm. But they only saw one side of the profile. They didn't see all the years I preached in West Virginia and didn't have money to pay the light bill or the water bill. You can never allow people to define you by one moment in your life, right. when, when your life is the substratum of a series of events that culminates in an expression of you, and you don't really know who you are for years, mm. because your wife, I wish I was talking to your wife now, because your wife could really get this, but you, you, you might do it too. 
my wife can't bake, your wife can bake. His wife bakes really good, okay? So she, she brought me this red velvet cake, inspired me to go bake, bake them. And uh, my wife swears she can't bake a cake, but the, the secret to the cake is not taking it out of the oven just because it looks good. If, if the cake rises and turns brown and you get excited because it looks good and you snatch it out of the oven, then as it cools, it will fall. That's right. Because it's not done yet. And a lot of times people make assessments about themselves too soon. Mm. You're not done yet. Wow. What a wisdom-packed episode. Like I said in the beginning, this is actually part of a three-part series. You can find the rest of them on the podcast by just typing Braveheart Podcast TD Jake's interview. And there's a part one, two, and three. And this is just the part one. So I'd highly encourage you to go check out the other ones. And until next week, be blessed.